0: This is the Heartache to Hope podcast, where we get real about infertility, IVF and pregnancy loss. I'm your host, Anita Thompson, and I have been through the hell and back journey myself. So this is your safe space where you will hear incredible stories from ordinary women, have become extraordinary through their journeys you'll get tips on how to manage all that is thrown at you but above all you will know that even though we didn't choose these circumstances for ourselves you are part of an incredible supportive community and you aren't alone think of this podcast as the giant hug the glass of wine or the cup of tea that you need when you didn't realize you needed it This is my conversation with Rhiannon Malone, who had the unimaginable experience of having a stillbirth at 39 weeks. I've actually split our conversation into two episodes. This first one, Rhiannon talks about her experience and those weeks and months after, the grieving process and how they celebrate Rory and his memory the next episode we talk about pregnancy after loss which is such a huge and important topic in itself thank you Rhiannon for being so raw and vulnerable you are truly amazing and I know that so many women will benefit from hearing your story here's Rhiannon hi Rhiannon hi how you going I'm good how are you
1: good good
0: your hair is lighter than your photo. This is... Yeah. Your photo is da- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People always that's... say that to me as well because I change my hair colour often. I think the best place to start is by you introducing yourself.
1: So my name is Rhiannon. I am a barrister at the Victorian Bar, but I'm also a stepmom. I got married to my husband in February 2021 and it had always been i guess our intention to have a child together my husband already has 3 children so i you know i've got i guess very strong family values i i grew up in a very small and and difficult household so i think that has always made me want to have children and you know i've always felt quite maternal so yeah we decided to try for a baby shortly after we got married and was surprised that I got pregnant very quickly because I actually have endometriosis. And I was told that, you know, I probably struggled to get pregnant. And I think I was 34 at the time. And whilst I'd always sort of used contraception, I had had periods of my life where I'd been a bit irresponsible and had never accidentally gotten pregnant. And so I was very anxious and, and stressed that that would be difficult in itself and that we'd have to, you know, go through IVF or something like that. So was incredibly surprised to get pregnant so easily and obviously very grateful that I didn't have to go through IVF because of everyone I know that's been through it, they don't say it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, we got pregnant in February of 2021 and had a really uneventful pregnancy. I had very bad morning sickness. That was yeah. the only kind of negative thing. I was basically vomiting from kind of the first trimester right up until the very last week of pregnancy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that wasn't fun. So other than that, though, the the pregnancy itself was pretty straightforward, and and certainly from a medical perspective, no complications, and I had a really wonderful obstetrician that looked after us very diligently. And my due date was the seventh of November, and I saw my obstetrician on the third of November. By that stage, we we're having weekly checkups, and I remember he said, you know, I think this baby's going to come before the weekend. He said, I'll be very surprised if you haven't had this baby in the next few days. You know, went home and said to my husband, yeah, Rory's doing really well and Peter's happy with everything he's seeing and just went to bed that night and woke up at about 3 a.m. sort of feeling like perhaps labour was starting. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I you know, never had any experience of, of labour before and then started to sort of time my contractions and by 5am was pretty sure that I was in labor and woke my husband up and he is he's obviously seen women in labor before having three children and and he is a doctor albeit not not an obstetrician but he has you know probably got a bit more experience in pregnancy than me and he rang the hospital straight away and sort of said oh look my wife's in pretty intense labor I think we're going to come in And they told us to come in straight away. My understanding is usually they sort of tell you to wait until Mm. labour's quite advanced. But um, by that stage, my contractions were every five minutes and lasting about 30 seconds. And then they increased to every three minutes. So we made our way to hospital and walked into the hospital just thinking everything was fine. And the first midwife couldn't find Rory's heartbeat. And then a second one, she thought she found his heartbeat. It was actually mine. Mine was racing. And then my obstetrician arrived and I had no idea what was going on. I just sort of thought, you know, this is what happens when labour starts. And then I think we'd been in the room for about 20 minutes and I heard something about them not being able to find his heartbeat. And I said to my husband, why haven't they found his heartbeat? And my husband couldn't look at me and he was facing the ultrasound machine and i had heard peter say to him my, my obstetrician said can you see what i'm saying and i just saw tom nod and i just knew in that moment something was wrong because if it was okay tom would have said something comforting <laughs> yes, yes. and he said uh oh, peter's gonna talk to us and i think in that moment i knew something was wrong but i didn't think my son had died. Peter sat down at the end of the bed and said those awful words. He said, I'm really sorry, your baby doesn't have a heartbeat. And yeah, it was just like my world ended. I just, I remember screaming and just kind of collapsing into my husband's arms and my husband bursting into tears and screaming as well. And it just felt like people sort of describe it as you know it's like a trap door that falls out from underneath you and that's what it felt like it was just to get to you know 39 weeks and four days and walk into hospital thinking it was going to be one of the best days of our lives and that we we're going to walk out with a healthy son and then to just be told he died in you know basically sometime between sort of 5am and 7am when labor started It was just devastating and such shock.
0: And and surreal, I imagine there would have been a part of you that was just couldn't wrap your head around it. Is this actually happening?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. It was just a mixture of emotions of disbelief and shock and you know anger and I remember even just thinking oh, we'll just perform an emergency Caesar and get him out and perform CPR on him, you know, just I I sort of understand why people were just, all all the noise in the room just suddenly sort of went quiet and everyone left the room and there was no flurry of activity. And I, I just remember thinking, why aren't people doing more? You know, why aren't they trying to save my son? And it was only, I think, you know, sort of, a week later or, or i don't even know a few days later or something i said to tom you know why why didn't they do that why didn't they do an emergency cesarean and start performing cpr and tom said oh that you know that it was too late there's just nothing that they can do he said you know baby's hearts are actually incredibly strong and so he said you know rory would have had catastrophic brain damage before his heart had even stopped so which is something I wouldn't have appreciated and something that Tom sort of understands as a doctor. But Mm. yeah, so it was, it was just awful. And then, you know, you still have to give birth. (laughs) Um, Labor still continues. And so I was still in a a lot of pain and uh, yeah, ultimately I wasn't dilating, although labor was very intense. And so I did have an emergency cesarean about four hours later. And yeah, I mean, all of that just seemed so unfair. You know, I thought, okay, my son's just died. I'm in extraordinary pain. I really, I remember just wanting to jump out the window. I just wanted my life to end because I was in such excruciating physical pain, but also emotional pain.
0: I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. What, um, horrendous experience that I think only someone who has been in your situation can understand really we'll talk about the next few days and weeks and months after that in a moment but did you ever get answers as to what actually happened
1: unfortunately not really we we did decide to have a full autopsy And the the autopsy was inconclusive. So the results of that were effectively that everything about him was perfect and there was no sort of issues with the cord or the placenta. Um, and certainly when, when I had a caesarean, my obstetrician was able to say that the cord was not wrapped around him or anything like that. So the ultimate result of the autopsy was just that, he died within minutes or a few hours of labour starting. And they were just able to base that on the fact that labour started sometime at 5am. We got to the hospital by 7.30 and by around 8 they'd said he'd died. So, yeah, it's, it's really hard, I think, not knowing why he died because I really wanted answers. Whereas, interestingly, my husband said he was relieved that, the autopsy was inconclusive because he just sort of said, well, no one can take away from us that Rory was perfect. And also he was worried that we would be agonising over um, things that we could have done differently for the rest of our life.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's sort of that what if, what if we did this? What if we did that? Whereas yeah, that's an interesting perspective of your husband's actually, because I, I kind of feel like I would I would be the same as you in order to feel some sort of closure. You do want answers. I mean, even with a miscarriage, you yeah. want
1: answers as to why. I think for me, I still have all of those what ifs because I often think to myself, well, what if I'd had a scheduled caesarean the day before? You know, yeah. my son would probably still be here. It, it seems that It wasn't just that his heart stopped in utero suddenly. It was clearly something about labour starting, him becoming quite distressed. I mean, my obstetrician speculates that there was probably some cord compression. So he said, you know, effectively, once a woman comes into hospital, they're obviously monitored. They can tell when the baby starts to become distressed. And he said, because my labour sort of started and almost went, you know, zero to 100, that he suspects there wasn't enough of a break between my contractions for the cord to continue getting oxygenated blood to Rory. But that's speculation. And so, you know, I think the autopsy was important in trying to understand why Rory died, but also in managing future pregnancies if we decided to try to have another baby. It was helpful to do the autopsy because I guess in a sense it's it's sort of helped to guide me during this pregnancy because I'm currently 30 weeks pregnant and the management of this pregnancy is very much focused on avoiding going into spontaneous labour and I'll have a scheduled cesarean at 37 weeks which in some sense that provides a bit of comfort but also because there's still so many unknowns there's this you know simmering anxiety all the time of well what if this baby's heartbeat just suddenly stops yeah. the day before my caesarean, you know. And that's that's been the feelings this whole pregnancy of what if, what if, what if. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah
0: of course. And we'll talk about um, pregnancy after loss in a moment because that's a massive topic that a lot of women have to go through. So I'm really keen to talk to you about your experiences over this, this pregnancy after the loss of Rory. But in terms of those next few days and and weeks after returning from the hospital because you mentioned you had a cesarean. So there's a physical recovery period and you can't really do much uh, after a cesarean anyway. So you're dealing with that plus the emotional load of everything that had happened. I don't want you to necessarily go back and re- relive that horrendous time, but, what got you through, you know, now looking back on that time to where you are now for anyone else who is experiencing a loss like that, a recent loss? Yeah,
1: yeah well, very fortunate that we had incredible family and friends that we could really lean on. The hospital where we delivered, Rory also have has a bereavement midwife. So she, in those initial days, was able to recommend funeral providers and things like that because you actually legally have to appoint a funeral director if you have a stillbirth which is from 20 weeks gestation onwards so she was able to give us some suggestions on funeral providers and then our funeral director was just incredible she just felt like a second mum or like a big sister she was so gentle and compassionate and really helped to guide us through those initial weeks. I have a very small family but my mum was wonderful. My husband has quite a large family and his family were just incredible and we just essentially had people at our house all the time and people bringing over meals and Mm. helping with some of the practical stuff. And also my husband, his aunt and uncle had lost their firstborn son in, I think it was 1988. So my husband grew up knowing that he had this cousin that died and, and his name was Matthew and he was often acknowledged at family events. And so really lent on his aunt and uncle because we knew that they were our beacon of hope of how we get through this because we knew that they understood what we were going through. And I think for people that experience this type of loss, one of the best things you can do is connect with other people that have experienced it because it is a unique form of loss and it is very misunderstood. and. It's incredibly painful, so a lot of people don't talk about it. And then that can lead to isolation, which makes the grief and the trauma harder to process.
0: Yeah. And your stepkids as well. Obviously, there was conversations that needed to happen there. How old were they?
1: Yeah, so... My stepchildren at the time, they were five, 11, and 15. Mm-hmm. And the two older two came to the hospital on the day that Rory was born and they met him and held him. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah. And my stepdaughter was incredibly distressed. She was just heartbroken. I think my stepson, he found the emotions of the situation incredibly overwhelming. And he really had a bit of difficulty kind of understanding the nature of the grief, I guess. And then my youngest stepson, he was actually with us the morning that I went into labour. So the next time we saw him, he very excitedly ran in the door and said, where's my little brother? And we had to sit him down for a conversation to say he got sick and his heart stopped and he died and... We also were able to offer him the opportunity to meet Rory. We had access to what's called a cuddle cot, which you might have heard of, and that just meant that we could actually bring Rory home for a couple of days and have family and friends meet him and and his siblings meet him. So I think that was very healing because it meant that Rory was real and tangible to other people. He's not just a photo. So whilst it was incredibly sad that he died, I think everyone being able to spend some time with him and having him actually in our house and knowing that he's been in every room in our house and we got to show him his nursery and you know we got to give him a bath at home. Those things are incredibly special.
0: Absolutely. I can imagine how tough but special that would have been. Do you celebrate him in other ways now?
1: He's definitely part of our family. You know, everyone knows about him. We have photos of him around the house. We've got a wall in our living room where I've just put up a collage of photos. It did take a little while to do that because my husband found looking at photos of him incredibly painful. Whereas I just always wanted to look at photos of him. And I almost sort of remember being in a way annoyed with my husband thinking, why, why don't you want to look at photos of him? He's so beautiful, you know? And I think for Tom, he just said, it's just so painful. I can't, I've got a whole life to grieve him. I can't do it just yet. So it was sort of after probably about six months after he died that I just said to Tom, look, I really want to have some photos up of him. Is that okay? And he hadn't appreciated that by him not wanting to look at photos that I'd held back in putting things up and he said oh no of course put things up that's fine. So we do things like that and on Father's Day I got Tom a gift that was specifically from Rory and I just put together some photo books which sort of told the story of our pregnancy. So we're we're navigating the ways that we can celebrate and acknowledge him but We certainly do acknowledge him on those important milestone days and on his, I feel weird saying birthday, but on what would have been his birthday or his anniversary, um, we had a a picnic with family and friends and we had a cake because we thought we wanted it to not be completely sombre. But equally, Tom and I said, we don't want to sing happy birthday. We just can't do that. And we asked that if people wanted to give gifts to Rory, then of course they'd be greatly appreciated, but that ultimately if they wanted to donate to some of the support services that helped us, that was important to us. And and I've done other things to honour his name. I've done some fundraising and raised money to donate another cuddle cot to a hospital and that's got his name embroidered on it. And so just knowing that other people will see and hear his name is really special to me.
0: Talking about needing to navigate all of this, Tom and yourself had to navigate grief and just can honestly either fall apart after something like this or keep going or become stronger. Did you, and tell me if this is too personal, but did you and Tom have different ways of grieving? Obviously the photos is just one aspect of yeah. that. Did you both need separate time and space to do your own grieving, I suppose, rather than come yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: I think probably in the first two to three months, we really lent on each other and were quite united in our grief and, and being very supportive. And then I I remember it was around Christmas, but particularly Christmas Day, I was just enraged and so resentful that he wanted to... Mark Christmas and that he was sort of saying, well, I've got this obligation to my three other children. And I just remember being furious and thinking, I don't care about the other kids. They should be grieving with us. And I just was a real Grinch. And I felt that it was almost a personal attack on me that everyone else was going on with life as if nothing had happened and of course they weren't going on with life you know the kids were all very cognizant of the fact that Rory wasn't there that Christmas but I started to kind of go down a a very dark place in terms of my mental health and so then we did diverge quite a bit in grief because I remember sort of thinking well Tom's not upset he doesn't care he doesn't cry he doesn't talk about him he doesn't he just seems to be over it because he wasn't grieving in the way that I was. He wasn't grieving at all, but of course he was. He it just as you say, people grieve differently. And I think I just sort of started leaning into resources about grief and listening to podcasts and I found a really wonderful podcast about dads of of babies that die of called dads still standing and just sort of hearing the male perspective on grief and, This kind of inherent sense that men tend to have of they have to be the strong one and they can't crack under pressure and I think I then was able to appreciate that it wasn't that Tom wasn't grieving, he just was trying to really keep it all together for our family. But, yeah, there was a couple of months earlier this year where I wouldn't say our marriage was on the rocks but it it was a difficult period where we were just arguing all the time and I think I probably wasn't a very pleasant person to be around. And then we kind of came back to one another. And Tom has said on numerous occasions, it's so nice that we're back in this really strong place. And he said, you know, I feel like we've really moved through all of that. And, and he's absolutely right. So, um, yeah, I think we have the very strong foundations of, of a very loving relationship But, yeah, absolutely, these things test everyone.
0: Thank you for that very honest and vulnerable answer. I really, really appreciate it.